Part four, section eight of the freedom of the will by Jonathan Edwards. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Some further objections against the moral necessity of God's volitions considered. The author last cited, as has been observed, owns that God being perfectly wise will constantly and certainly choose what appears most fit where there is a superior fitness and goodness in things and that it is not possible for him to do otherwise so that it is in effect confessed that in those things where there is any real preferableness it is no dishonour nothing in any respect unworthy of god for him to act from necessity notwithstanding all that can be objected from the agreement of such a necessity with the fate of the stoics and the necessity maintained by mr hobbes from which it will follow that if in all the different things among which god chooses there were evermore a superior fitness or preferableness on one side then it would be no dishonour or anything unbecoming for god's will to be necessarily determined in everything and if this be allowed it is giving up entirely the argument from the unsuitableness of such a necessity to the liberty supremacy independence and glory of the divine being and resting the whole weight of the affair on the decision of another point wholly diverse these whether it be so indeed that in all the various possible things which are in god's view and may be considered as capable objects of his choice there is not evermore a preferableness in one thing above another this is denied by this author who supposes that in many instances between two or more possible things which come within the view of the divine mind there is a perfect indifference and inequality as to fitness or tendency to attain any good end which god can have in view or to answer any of his designs now therefore i would consider whether this be evident the arguments brought to prove this are of two kinds one it is urged that in many instances we must suppose there is absolutely no difference between various possible objects of choice which god has in view and two that the difference between many things is so inconsiderable or of such a nature that it would be unreasonable to suppose it to be of any consequence or to suppose that any of god's wise designs would not be answered in any one way as well as the other therefore one the first thing to be considered is whether there are any instances wherein there is a perfect likeness and absolutely no difference between different objects of choice that are proposed to the divine understanding and here in the first place it may be worthy to be considered whether the contradiction there is in the terms of the question proposed does not give reason to suspect that there is an inconsistence in the thing supposed it is inquired whether different objects of choice may not be absolutely without difference if they are absolutely without difference then how are they different objects of choice if there be absolutely no difference in any respect then there is no variety or distinction for distinction is only by some difference and if there be no variety among proposed objects of choice then there is no opportunity for variety of choice 
or difference of determination for that determination of a thing which is not different in any respect is not a different determination but the same that this is no quibble may appear more fully in a short time the arguments to prove that the most high in some instances chooses to do one thing rather than another where the things themselves are perfectly without difference are two one that the various parts of infinite time and space absolutely considered are perfectly alike and do not differ at all one from another and that therefore when god determined to create the world in such a part of infinite duration and space rather than others he determined and preferred among various objects between which there was no preferableness and absolutely no difference answer this objection supposes an infinite length of time before the world was created distinguished by successive parts properly and truly so or a succession of limited and unmeasurable periods of time following one another in an infinitely long series which must needs be a groundless imagination the eternal duration which was before the world being only the eternity of god's existence which is nothing else but his immediate perfect and invariable possession of the whole of his unlimited life together and at once vitae interminabilis tota simul et perfecta possessio which is so generally allowed that i need not stand to demonstrate it so this objection supposes an extent of space beyond the limits of the creation of an infinite length breadth and depth truly and properly distinguished into different measurable parts limited at certain stages one beyond another in an infinite series which notion of absolute and infinite space is doubtless as unreasonable as that now mentioned of absolute and infinite duration it is as improper to imagine that the immensity and omnipresence of god is distinguished by a series of miles and leagues one beyond another as that the infinite duration of god is distinguished by months and years one after another a diversity in order of distinct parts limited by certain periods is as conceivable and does as naturally obtrude itself on our imagination in one case as the other and there is equal reason in each case to suppose that our imagination deceives us it is equally improper to talk of months and years of the divine existence as of square miles of deity and we equally deceive ourselves when we talk of the world being differently fixed with respect to either of these sorts of measures i think we know not what we mean if we say the world might have been differently placed from what it is in the broad expanse of infinity or that it might have been differently fixed in the long line of eternity and all arguments and objections which are built on the imaginations we are apt to have of infinite extension or duration are buildings founded on shadows or castles in the air to the second argument to prove that the most high wills one thing rather than another without any superior fitness or preferableness in the thing preferred is god's actually placing in different parts of the world particles or atoms of matter that are perfectly equal and alike the forementioned author says page seventy eight etc if one would descend to the minute specific particles of which different bodies are composed we should see abundant reason to believe that there are thousands of such little particles or atoms of matter which are perfectly equal and alike and could give no distinct determination to the will of god where to place them he there instances in particles of water of which there are such immense numbers which compose the rivers and oceans of this world and the infinite myriads of the luminous and fiery particles which compose the body of the sun so many that it would be very unreasonable 
to suppose no two of them should be exactly equal and alike answer one to this i answer that as we must suppose matter to be infinitely divisible it is very unlikely that any two of all these particles are exactly equal and alike so unlikely that it is a thousand to one yea an infinite number to one but it is otherwise and that although we should allow a great similarity between the different particles of water and fire as to their general nature and figure and however small we suppose those particles to be it is infinitely unlikely that any two of them should be exactly equal in dimensions and quantity of matter if we should suppose a great many globes of the same nature with the globe of the earth it would be very strange if there were any two of them that had exactly the same number of particles of dust and water in them but infinitely less strange than that two articles of light should have just the same quantity of matter for a particle of light according to the doctrine of the infinite divisibility of matter is composed of infinitely more assignable parts than there are particles of dust and water in the globe of the earth and as it is infinitely unlikely that any two of these particles should be equal so it is that they should be alike in other respects to instance in the configuration of their surfaces if there were very many globes of that nature of the earth it would be very unlikely that any two should have exactly the same number of particles of dust water and stone in their surfaces and all posited exactly like one with respect to another without any difference in any part discernible either by the naked eye or microscope but infinitely less strange than that two articles of light should be perfectly of the same figure for there are infinitely more assignable real parts on the surface of a particle of light than there are particles of dust water and stone on the surface of the terrestrial globe answer to but then supposing that there are two particles or atoms of matter perfectly equal and alike which god has placed in different parts of the creation as i will not deny it to be possible for god to make two bodies perfectly alike and put them in different places yet it will not follow that two different or distinct acts or effects of the divine power have exactly the same fitness for the same ends for these two different bodies are not different or distinct in any other respects than those wherein they differ they are two in no other respects than those wherein there is a difference if they are perfectly equal and alike in themselves then they can be distinguished or be distinct only in those things which are called circumstances as place time rest motion or some other present or past circumstances or relations for it is difference only that constitutes distinction if god makes two bodies in themselves every way equal and alike and agreeing perfectly in all other circumstances and relations but only their place then in this only is there any distinction or duplicity the figure is the same the measure is the same the solidity and resistance are the same and everything the same but only this place therefore what the will of god determines is this that there should be the same figure the same extension the same resistance etc in two different places and for this determination he has some reason there is some end for which such a determination and act has a peculiar fitness above all other acts here is no one thing determined without an end and no one thing without a fitness for that end superior to anything else if it be the pleasure of god to cause the same resistance and the same figure to be in two different places and situations we can no more justly argue from it that here must be some determination or act of god's will that is holy without motive or end that we can argue that whenever in any case it is a man's will to speak the same words or make the same sounds at two different times there must be some determination or act of his will without any motive or end 
the difference of place in the former case proves no more than the difference of time does in the other if any one should say with regard to the former case that there must be something determined without an end viz that of those two similar bodies this in particular should be made in this place and the other in the other and should inquire why the creator did not make them in a transposition when both are alike and each would equally have suited either place the inquiry supposes something that is not true namely that the two bodies differ and are distinct in other respects besides their place so that with this distinction inherent in them they might in their first creation have been transposed and each might have begun its existence in the place of the other let us for clearness sake suppose that god had at the beginning made two globes each of an inch diameter both perfect spheres and perfectly solid without pores and perfectly alike in every respect and place them near one to another one towards the right hand and the other towards the left without any difference as to time motion or rest past or present or any circumstance but only their place and the question should be asked why god in their creation placed them so why that which is made on the right hand was not made on the left and vice versa let it be well considered whether there be any sense in such a question and whether the inquiry does not suppose something false and absurd let it be considered what the creator must have done otherwise than he did what different act of will or power he must have exerted in order to the thing proposed all that could have been done would have been to have made two spheres perfectly alike in the same places where he has made them without any difference of the things made either in themselves or in any circumstance so that the whole effect would have been without any difference and therefore just the same by the supposition the two spheres are different in no other respect but their place and therefore in other respects they are the same each has the same roundness it is not a distinct rotundity in any other respect but its situation there are also the same dimensions differing in nothing but their place and so of their resistance and everything else that belongs to them here if any chooses to say that there is a difference in another respect viz that they are not numerically the same that it is thus with all the qualities that belong to them that it is confessed they are in some respects the same that is they are both exactly alike but yet numerically they differ thus the roundness of one is not the same numerical individual roundness with that of the other let this be supposed then the question about the determination of the divine will in the affair is why did god will that this individual roundness should be at the right hand and the other individual roundness at the left why did not he make them in a contrary position let any rational person consider whether such questions be not words without a meaning as much as if god should see fit for some ends to cause the same sounds to be repeated or made at two different times the sounds being perfectly the same in every other respect but only one was a minute after the other and it should be asked upon it why god caused these sounds numerically different to succeed one the other in such a manner why he did not make that individual sound which was in the first minute to be in the second and the individual sound of the last minute to be in the first which inquiries would be even ridiculous as i think every person must see in the case proposed of two sounds being only the same repeated absolutely without any difference but that one circumstance of time if the most high sees it will answer some good end that the same sound be made thunder at two distinct times and therefore wills that it should be so must it needs therefore be that herein there is some act of god's will without any motive or end god saw 
fit often at distinct times and on different occasions to say the very same words to moses namely those i am jehovah and would it not be unreasonable to infer as a certain consequence from this that here must be some act or acts of the divine will in determining and disposing the words exactly alike at different times wholly without aim or inducement but it would be no more unreasonable than to say that there must be an act of god without any inducement if he sees it best and for some reasons determines that there shall be the same resistance the same dimensions and the same figure in several distinct places if in the instance of the two spheres perfectly alike it be supposed possible that god might have made them in a contrary position that which is made at the right hand being made at the left then i ask whether it is not evidently equally possible if god had made but one of them and that in the place of the right-hand globe that he might have made that numerically different from what it is and numerically different from what he did make it though perfectly alike and in the same place and at the same time and in every respect in the same circumstances and relations namely whether he might not have made it numerically the same with that which he has now made at the left hand and so have left that which is now created at the right hand in a state of non-existence and if so whether it would not have been possible to have made one in that place perfectly like these and yet numerically differing from both and let it be considered whether from this notion of a numerical difference in bodies perfectly equal and alike which numerical difference is something inherent in the bodies themselves and diverse from the difference of place or time or any circumstance whatsoever it will not follow that there is an infinite number of numerically different possible bodies perfectly alike among which god chooses by a self-determining power when he goes about to create bodies therefore let us put the case thus supposing that god in the beginning had created but one perfectly solid sphere in a certain place and it should be inquired why god created that individual sphere in that place at that time and why he did not create another sphere perfectly like it but numerically different in the same place at the same time or why he chose to bring into being there that very body rather than any of the infinite number of other bodies perfectly like it either of which he could have made there as well and would have answered his end as well why he caused to exist at that place and time that individual roundness rather than any other of the infinite number of individual rotundities just like it why that individual resistance rather than any other of the infinite number of possible resistances just like it and it might as reasonably be asked why when god first caused it to thunder he caused that individual sound then to be made and not another just like it why did he make choice of this very sound and reject all the infinite number of other possible sounds just like it but numerically differing from it and all differing one from another i think everybody must be sensible of the absurdity and nonsense of what is supposed in such inquiries and if we calmly attend to the matter we shall be convinced that all such kind of objections as i am answering are founded on nothing but the imperfection of our manner of conceiving things and the obscureness of language and great want of clearness and precision in the signification of terms if any should find fault with this reasoning that it is going a great length into metaphysical niceties and subtleties i answer the objection to which they are a reply is a metaphysical subtlety and must be treated according to the nature of it two another thing alleged is that innumerable things which are determined by the divine will and chosen and done by god rather than others differ from those that are not chosen in so inconsiderable a manner that it would be unreasonable to suppose the difference to be of any consequence 
or that there is any superior fitness or goodness that god can have respect to in the determination to which i answer it is impossible for us to determine with any certainty or evidence that because the difference is very small and appears to us of no consideration therefore there is absolutely no superior goodness and no valuable end which can be proposed by the creator and governor of the world in ordering such a difference the forementioned author mentions many instances one is there being one atom in the whole universe more or less but i think it would be unreasonable to suppose that god made one atom in vain or without any end or motive he made not one atom but what was a work of his almighty power as much as the whole globe of the earth and requires as much of a constant exertion of almighty power to uphold it and was made and is upheld with understanding and design as much as if no other had been made but that and it would be as unreasonable to suppose that he made it without any thing really aimed at in so doing as much as to suppose that he made the planet jupiter without aim or design it is possible that the most minute effects of the creator's power the smallest assignable difference between the things which god has made may be attended in the whole series of events and the whole compass and extent of their influence with very great and important consequences if the laws of motion and gravitation laid down by sir isaac newton hold universally there is not one atom nor the least assignable part of an atom but what has influence every moment throughout the whole material universe to cause every part to be otherwise than it would be if it were not for that particular corporeal existence and however the effect is insensible for the present yet it may in length of time become great and important to illustrate this let us suppose two bodies moving the same way in straight lines perfectly parallel one to another but to be diverted from this parallel course and drawn one from another as much as might be by the attraction of an atom at the distance of one of the furthest of the fixed stars from the earth these bodies being turned out of the lines of their parallel motion will by degrees get further and further distant one from the other and though the distance may be imperceptible for a long time yet at length it may become very great so the revolution of a planet round the sun being retarded or accelerated and the orbit of its revolution made greater or less and more or less elliptical and so its periodical time longer or shorter no more than may be by the influence of the least atom might in length of time perform a whole revolution sooner or later than otherwise it would have done which might make a vast alteration with regard to millions of important events so the influence of the least particle may for aught we know have such effect on something in the constitution of some human body as to cause another thought to arise in the mind at a certain time than otherwise would have been which in length of time yea and that not very great might occasion a vast alteration through the whole world of mankind and so innumerable other ways might be mentioned wherein the least assignable alteration may possibly be attended with great consequences another argument which the forementioned author brings against a necessary determination of the divine will by a superior fitness is that such doctrine derogates from the freeness of god's grace and goodness in choosing the objects of his favour and bounty and from the obligation upon men to thankfulness for special benefits page eighty nine etc in answer to this objection i would observe one that it derogates no more from the goodness of god to suppose the exercise of the benevolence of his nature to be determined by wisdom 
than to suppose it determined by chance and that his favours are bestowed altogether as random his will being determined by nothing but perfect accident without any end or design whatsoever which must be the case as has been demonstrated if volition be not determined by a prevailing motive that which is owing to perfect contingence wherein neither previous inducement nor antecedent choice has any hand is not owing more to goodness or benevolence than that which is owing to the influence of a wise end two it is acknowledged that if the motive that determines the will of god in the choice of the objects of his favours be any moral quality in the object recommending that object to his benevolence above others his choosing that object is not so great a manifestation of the freeness and sovereignty of his grace as if it were otherwise but there is no necessity for supposing this in order to our supposing that he has some wise end in view in determining to bestow his favours on one person rather than another we are to distinguish between the merit of the object of god's favour or a moral qualification of the object attracting that favour and recommending to it and the natural fitness of such a determination of the act of god's goodness to answer some wise design of his own some end in the view of god's omniscience it is god's own act that is the proper and immediate object of his volition three i suppose that none will deny but that in some instances god acts from wise design in determining the particular subjects of his favours none will say i presume that when god distinguishes by his bounty particular societies or persons he never in any instance exercises any wisdom in so doing aiming at some happy consequence and if it be not denied to be so in some instances then i would inquire whether in these instances god's goodness is less manifested than in those wherein god has no aim or end at all and whether the subjects have less cause of thankfulness and if so who shall be thankful for the bestowment of distinguishing mercy without enhancing circumstance of the distinction being made without an end how shall it be known when god is influenced by some wise aim and when not it is very manifest with respect to the apostle paul that god had wise ends in choosing him to be a christian and an apostle who had been a persecutor etc the apostle himself mentions one end first timothy one fifteen sixteen christ jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom i am chief howbeit for this cause i obtained mercy that in me first jesus christ might show forth all long-suffering for a pattern to them who should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting but yet the apostle never looked on it as a diminution of the freedom and riches of divine grace in his election which he so often and so greatly magnifies this brings me to observe for our supposing such a moral necessity in the acts of god's will as has been spoken of is so far from necessarily derogating from the riches of god's grace to such as are the chosen objects of his favour that in many instances this moral necessity may arise from goodness and from the great degree of it god may choose this object rather than another 
as having a superior fitness to answer the ends designs and inclinations of his goodness being more sinful and so more miserable and necessitous than others the inclinations of infinite mercy and benevolence may be more gratified and the gracious design of god in sending his son into the world may be more abundantly answered in the exercises of mercy towards such an object rather than another one thing more i would observe before i finish what i have to say on the head of the necessity of the acts of god's will and that is that something much more like a servile subjection of the divine being to fatal necessity will follow from armenian principles than from the doctrines which they oppose for they at least most of them suppose with respect to all events that happen in the moral world depending on the volitions of moral agents which are the most important events of the universe to which all others are subordinate i say they suppose with respect to these that god has a certain foreknowledge of them antecedent to any purposes or decrees of his about them and if so they have a fixed certain futurity prior to any designs or volitions of his and independent on them and to which his volitions must be subject as he would wisely accommodate his affairs to this fixed futurity of the state of things in the moral world so that here instead of a moral necessity of god's will arising from or consisting in the infinite perfection and blessedness of the divine being we have a fixed unalterable state of things properly distinct from the perfect nature of the divine mind and the state of the divine will and design and entirely independent on these things and which they have no hand in because they are prior to them and to which god's will is truly subject being obliged to conform or accommodate himself to it in all his purposes and decrees and in everything he does in his disposals and government of the world the moral world being the end of the natural so that all is in vain that is not accommodated to that state of the moral world which consists in or depends upon the acts and state of the wills of moral agents which had a fixed futurition from eternity such a subjection to necessity as this would truly argue an inferiority and servitude that would be unworthy of the supreme being and as much more agreeable to the notion which many of the heathen had of fate as above the gods than that moral necessity of fitness and wisdom which has been spoken of and is truly repugnant to the absolute sovereignty of god and inconsistent with the supremacy of his will and really subjects the will of the most high to the will of his creatures and brings him into dependence upon them End of part four section eight